show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish on First podcast channel. I'm Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. This edition of the show, a little bit different than any previous one I've done because we are going to simulcast this one on YouTube, the Fish Stripes YouTube channel. You just look for the Fish on First playlist and you'll find it all there to reach an additional audience that likes to get their pods this way, if not on the traditional podcast feed. If you're watching us on that channel, please leave a like on this video early on. That's so you can let me know whether or not this is a useful endeavor and a useful uh, second platform to put this stuff on. But the plan is to do this uh, moving forward so that we can reach as many people as possible. And I brought some visual aids, of course, to go through on this show. Uh, the Marlins 12 and 10. I'm recording this right after the series finale in Cleveland. They've won four straight series. I think by most people's opinions, they are overachieving what we thought they would at this point in the season. The big reason why is their bullpen. Uh, this bullpen has been pretty terrific so far this season. Uh, a very deep bullpen. And at the very end, high leverage situations, they've been nails to this point in the season. The stats tell a very interesting story. Uh, for one, they entered Sunday with the number one bullpen in all Major League Baseball and win probability added. They were tied for third in baseball reference wins above average. On the other side, they were only 16th in ERA, and that got a little bit worse on Sunday. They were only 23rd in Fangraph's wins above replacement and 25th out of 30 in fielder independent pitching. Mainly, that is due to the very low strikeout rate that this whole group has. Looking at distance, I think most people wouldn't think that this is a very formidable group. Those of us watching every day might have kind of an inflated sense of how effective and reliable these guys actually are. The truth probably somewhere in the middle. I will circle back to that at the very end of the show. I wanted to take this opportunity to just go through one by one everybody that's in the current pen. I'll pull that up for you right here. As of this middle of this road trip, there are nine members of the bullpen. It's probably going to go down to eight on Tuesday when they need another starter. In no particular order, it's Matt Barnes, Oscar Brazoban, Stephen Okert, Andrew Nardi, George Soriano, Tanner Scott, Devin Smeltzer, Dylan Floro, and AJ Puck. We'll do quick hits on all of them as I am going to, as the name of this episode suggests, rank these Marlins relievers from top to bottom a combination of how they're doing so far, but more so about what I expect from them production-wise moving through the rest of the season. Um, I think this is a good time to uh, take a stock of what we have in this current group and whether they can continue to be so lights out in these close games to allow the Marlins as a whole to perform the way that they have so far. On the other side of this break, I will get to the very first tier of these relievers and we will work our way up here on Fish on First Thanks for watching and stick with me. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. So we will begin all the way on the bottom here. I'm going to group together Devin Smeltzer and George Soriano in what I'll call the fresh arm 
category here, the fresh arm tier. Both of them have had some struggles at times. Soriano fresh in our minds on Sunday and then Smeltzer in each of his first two outings after he was brought up from AAA. Aside from these two, the other seven names that we'll get to, I feel like they're the ones that have a very um, strong hold on their roster spots. Uh, they're not going anywhere anytime soon unless it's for a sudden injury. But it's this final spot. The typical, you're going to have five starting pitchers on your roster out of a 13-man pitching staff. That leaves room for eight relievers. That eighth spot, look around the league. Um, that is kind of a revolving door, depending on who's available, um, who so who simply is uh, has that fresh arm, as it would suggest. So there are pros and cons to uh, both these guys who are on the roster at this moment. I do anticipate one of them getting squeezed off when the Marlins need a, another starter in Atlanta. With Soriano, what stands out is his slider. Uh, an average spin rate entering Sunday at 2,765 RPM. That is more spin on that pitch than any Marlins pitcher has on any individual pitch type on this entire team this season. It is a standout pitch. It is one where if he just locates it close enough to the zone, he's going to get some whiffs on that pitch, and he'll even get whiffs on it in the zone. So what it makes up for and not having huge movement overall is that it gets very late movement with the spin and that gives some kind of a decent floor in terms of how many bats you can expect Soriano to miss. Um, when it comes to Smeltzer, uh, he did get shelled each of his first two outings, including the middle outing where he cost the Marlins. The, well, he didn't really, he ended up being the losing pitcher because the Marlins offense didn't show up in that game uh, against the giants. It is uh, it's hard, it's hard to watch those games when he's doesn't have it and feel inspire any confidence. However, he does have a pretty substantial track record now in the big leagues. He has a very deep pitch mix because he is he came up primarily as a starter. He was mainly a starter as a twin. And I think overall, he is a serviceable pitcher. It's not the worst thing in the world if he hangs around this roster for a few extra weeks until they get a more dynamic arm healthy in order to uh, replace him. This is your very bottom tier. And then next up, I have a five-man tier that I, I feel all these guys are really close. It's almost splitting hairs in some cases in terms of where to put them from number seven through number three. But number seven, we'll go to Matt Barnes, the new acquisition. I was a big fan of this trade when the Marlins made it, him straight up for Richard Blyer and even exchanging some cash that made it a cash-neutral deal as well. I thought that was very smart. And to this point in the season, the Marlins are certainly winning this trade. Barnes has been getting outs. That's ultimately what's most important is for you to uh, get outs. And to this point, most recently on Sunday, Sunday was arguably his, his best outing so far going, what was it? One in two thirds. And I think he retired all five batters that he faced, including a couple strikeouts. So it lowers his ERA to uh, 193. But just to get the stats up here again on Marlins pitchers this season, Barnes, his FIP was doubled his ERA entering today. Fielder independent pitching 4.79. His strikeout rate is down quite a bit from where it was at his peak. His fastball velocity is the lowest it has ever been in his entire career. That's kind of where all my concerns start with Matt Barnes is the lack of fastball velo. He used to be a mid-90s fastball guy who could like ramp it up to the high 90s when he needed it. That does not appear to be in the tank anymore. He's a low 90s fastball guy. And uh, I guess we'll be patient to see if that changes. If there's no particular injury to explain that, it just limits the way that his breaking ball can play off of that fastball. He still does have a great breaking ball. Um, I think he had a couple strikeouts on that today. One of them, just a beautifully located one, 
you can not only get whiffs on it, but sometimes locating it on the edges of the zone. It's very impressive. It shows the way that Skip Schumacher has used him to this point in the season, that there's not a lot of trust. He's mainly going in these lowish leverage situations. And I think that's the best spot for him at this point because just that limitations of his fastball, he experimented with the changeup going back to last year in Boston. And from what I've seen, it's just not a viable major league pitch. It's not really doing very much for him. He doesn't get enough drop on that changeup to um, really improve his game at all. So we'll see whether or not he even attempts to like make it a regular part of his mix. I think he's primarily going to be a two-pitch guy. Like I said, just one of those pitches I don't have a whole lot of confidence in moving forward. He's exactly where he needs to be. And for him to be the number seven guy in this bullpen just speaks volumes of how far this team has gone. And as does the number six guy, Tanner Scott. Tanner Scott, who at times last year was the, at the very top of the Marlins bullpen hierarchy. Don't you remember? He was the closer for months. There were months where he was pitching the biggest situations. The reason why he earned that opportunity uh, is largely because of his um, ability to miss bats. It is on par with anybody in this pen. And it still is now, mainly because of he still has his mid-90s fastball velo that gets even higher when he needs to. And his slider is um, extremely difficult to hit. For hitters, on that slider, you're mostly just waiting for him to lose control. And that is the, the big weakness with him, is that he goes through stretches where he simply does not know where the ball is going at all. The clearest example on Saturday during that doubleheader, there was a sequence of 10 consecutive balls. Oh boy. That is, you just, there are some pitchers in this very bullpen, a lot of them, where that simply is not, doesn't happen. These guys are able to regain that release point. And Scott, this is nothing new for him. We saw it a lot last year. He goes through these stretches in these games where he totally loses that release point and he, his misses aren't even close. They're not even competitive misses. So, regardless of who he's facing in the lineup, they are going to get into advantageous counts. It puts on extra base runners. It puts a lot of pressure on the Marlins defense. That's one other thing I'll circle back to this Marlins defense this year um, with Tanner Scott. There were extended stretches last year where he was great. I have a feeling that there will be at least one of those coming up later this year. Um, he certainly isn't, um, isn't a guy that you want in these high leverage situations unless it's a very particular matchup. It's been an interesting ride for him. The upside is still pretty impressive, but this isn't a very young pitcher anymore. This is somebody that has now been in the league for parts of six seasons, I think it is. He's been around, and if he hasn't quite figured out that control aspect of it yet, I don't think he's going to. I think the stat that's still applicable is that he is the highest career walk rate of any active pitcher that has pitched as many innings as he does talking about guys that have pitched at least 200 or so innings. So that kind of says it all. That's a pretty big limitation. Ultimately he is difficult enough to make solid contact against that. He can work around a lot of those free passes. Just overall, that is a pretty big flaw that uh, I don't think he can overcome and he got plenty of opportunities to overcome it last year. And it was only in small spurts that he did. So moving on to number five, my reliever rankings. It is newly reinstated Stephen Okert. This is Okert's third season with the Marlins, I believe. And the last two years have been almost carbon copies of each other. 
because of the way that he's his run prevention has overperformed his peripherals by such a big margin. Both those years, a sub two ERA in 2021 and 2022, and yet a FIP in the mid fours, a four three four in 2021, four three six in 2022. It's hard to do that. He is on a very short list of guys in the big leagues that have that kind of differential between them. He his fastball isn't as overpowering as Scott's, for example. He does throw. His control is better, but when you look at the, you kind of look back at it, it's not quite um, as reliable as you would like. For somebody just like Scott, Ogre was pitching in some very important situations throughout most of 2022. He was the main eighth inning guy that Don Mattingly used, despite the fact that he was walking somebody every other inning. He also had seven hit by pitches last year. I imagine most of those were on the slider in his case, where it gets away from him. He's even more slider reliant than uh, Tanner Scott is. His slider usage last year was 68%. That is right near the highest end of any breaking ball usage of any regular pitcher in the big leagues. So it shows you how much he trusts it against both lefties and righties. He does get a good velocity separation between that low 80s slider and his occasionally mid-90s fastball. He looked good during his rehab assignment, and he pitched a scoreless ending in his season debut. So with him, you're just relying a lot on his history. And his history is that he, he's been very good, but it's just somebody where I don't think you can count on him replicating that a very unusual stat line again. I don't think you could count on him posting another sub-3 ERA, somebody that pitches well in high-leverage situations as well if it's the same guy that people are used to, if he's strictly a two pitch pitcher and there are some limitations with that fastball in terms of missing bats, he relies so much on the slider, both to get whiffs and also to get ahead in the count and to steal strikes, especially on the outside corner against right-handed batters. In the past, he's been pretty good at stranding inherited base runners. That's the first time, but not the last time that I'll bring up that aspect in here. ERA tells us a lot about starting pitchers and it's a little bit less valuable when talking about relievers because it overlooks the elements of inherited runners. So Oakard pitched in a lot of those situations last year. Um, still to be determined how often Skip uses him this year in situations. And that's kind of why I have Oakert number five on here directly below another lefty, Andrew Nardi. Andrew Nardi, can you believe number four, the top half, you could say, we're still in this middle tier, but the fact that I've, I have more confidence in Andrew Nardi moving forward than Stephen Okert, despite the huge disparity in their performance last year, Nardi was totally overmatched in the big leagues last season. So much hard contact, so much, and it, that kind of played out in the run prevention aspect of it. He allowed... You know, uh, you know what the ERA was? The ERA was knocking on the door for double digits last season because of so many hits. So, 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 so much hard contact, line drives everywhere against Steve, Andrew Nardi last year. I never totally bought that he was as bad as that showed, and uh, I'm glad that the Marlins felt the same way. The way that he performed in the minor leagues and what he showed, um, his four-seam fastball, velocity-wise, right in the same area as Stephen Okert, but it plays so much better up in the zone. And Nardi is generally able to locate it up in the zone the way he needs to, to get swings and misses. 
as we've now gotten a larger sample of Nardi, the batting average against has come down because the batting average on balls in play came down. In his first year, was it at 500 against him on batting averages on balls in play? Just for context, the league average on that is 300, and that excludes home runs, right? So he allowed five home runs last year in a very small sample of 14 and two-thirds, but the batting average on balls in play just looks at the other stuff that actually stayed in the park. So that was bound to improve. From going from a 500 last year, knowing the league average is a little under 300, and so far this year, it's at 190. As we're talking, he's in the middle of a stretch of eight consecutive hitless innings. Eight hitless innings for Andrew Nardi across a handful of games. And I don't think that's sustainable either. I would think that the real Andrew Nardi is pretty close to what we're seeing, but not quite as... Um, I think that this is also his luck now turning in his favor since opening day, uh, fully making up for where it was last year, but yet there's going to be somewhat of a middle ground that he's going to uh, settle into. So with Nardi, a 3.72 ERA this season so far, a 3.98 fielder independent pitching, only allowed five hits in those nine and two-thirds innings, only one home run. What stands out to him, to me, about him is his performance with inherited runners. That is a big part of the job for some of these relievers. With Nardi, he has inherited as many runners as any Marlins reliever this year, and he has stranded every single one of them, eight for eight, in preventing inherited runners from scoring. So that is not reflected in your ERA very much, aside from the outs that you receive. There's so much pressure on you to miss bats or to at least keep balls in the infield if you're going to come in with inherited runners, he is already being trusted to do that. And he is kind of rewarding that trust with uh, the way he's pitching. What I just noticed about last year is how insanely low his ground ball rate was. And that has normalized. So that's going to be a big aspect of him is not only getting those fastballs to miss bats up in the zone, but also now putting low and away sliders off of that in order to get whiffs on that. And also to get people to pound the ball into the ground. He has that third pitch. He has that decent changeup that separates him from somebody like Tanner Scott or even Stephen Okert. That's a big part of it. And he is still so young, Andrew Nardi. He's only 24, 24 years old for uh, most of the season. So excluding him, George Soriano, even a little bit younger. But in terms of the mainstays of this Marlins bullpen, Nardi by far the least experienced. One who could be part of this bullpen for a long time to come just because of the years of club control remaining and how much he could potentially get better with even more experience. Former late-round draft pick who has made himself uh, pretty good. So I think he's solidly in this middle tier of Marlins relievers to this point, where I think he's a pretty genuinely slightly above-average big league reliever right now with the potential to get even a little bit better as the season goes on. In the same tier, but at the very top of this middle tier, for the Marlins, I have right-hander Huascar Brazoban. My eyes lit up when the Marlins signed him originally to a minor league deal late in 2021 when he was pitching in the Dominican Winter League. He showed nasty stuff over there. And for whatever reason, for a large chunk of that 2022 in spring training and then in the minors and AAA, um, his command was totally non-existent. And he was getting hit surprisingly hard for somebody with his stuff. And he was also just putting on too many free base runners. Something clicked for him in the middle of 2022 in the minors. 
Um, he went on this really torrid stretch of dominance where he's striking out everybody there to force himself up in uh, late July. He put up good numbers late last season with an ERA in the low threes. He was kind of the opposite of Nardi. Instead of being babbipped uh, to bad results, he was on the fortunate end of that. He was allowing um, he was allowing a lot of soft contact and uh, getting good results out of that. He was constantly flirting with danger. His walk rate was very high last year. He had seven wild pitches and only 32 innings pitched. Um, but he was also pitching in some a lot of inherited runner situations, and he was coming through as well. He showed his versatility uh, last year, and now he's continuing to be in that very versatile role this year, except I think he's better this year. I was a little skeptical about Brazabon heading into the year because I don't like to be ageist, but 33 years old, and he just hadn't been, he was totally off the grid when the Marlins had signed him. He was pitching winter ball, and before that, pitching in independent leagues. And then before that, he was really off the grid. He was just nowhere to be found. It's such an unusual career arc that if somebody hasn't already figured out how to repeat their delivery at age 32, you usually don't see it get much better at age 33. And to his credit, um, he has improved. He's improved a lot. The bottom line numbers look almost exactly the same. The ERA is almost exactly the same. Um, even the strikeout rate compared to last year, I think that is a tiny bit lower. But he has cut down the walks from a 15% walk rate to a 5% walk rate. That is a huge difference from, from going to Tanner Scott level to being much better than league average at limiting free passes. He's getting ahead in counts uh, only... I need to correct myself on that. He's getting ahead in counts very rarely, only a 55% first pitch strike rate, which is the same as last year. But he's doing enough after that to kind of make up ground. And generally, he's throwing pitches in the zone more. That's kind of what I wanted to get to. I think on according to um, the stat cast measurement of it, he only had a zone percentage about 40% in 2022. And that's going up to 46% in 2023. He's challenging guys in the zone with this absolutely um, gorgeous repertoire of pitches. He's got a plus changeup. He's got a plus cutter. And maybe his third best pitch is his fastball, which sits in the mid-90s. He's got a great, a good fastball on top of that. Just the pure pitch mix, including all those elements, I, I think he has the nastiest stuff in this Marlins bullpen. And he's using it more confidently, confidently more assertively this year. I think his ability to go multiple innings to inherit runners to sometimes inherit runners and then go uh, an additional ending on top of that. So far this year, he has had nine appearances and five of them have been more than one full ending for Quasker Brazovan. He is unlike anybody else in this bullpen. He is, um, yeah, he'd be very difficult to replace all of a sudden with him. I'm very pleasantly surprised by Brazovan so far this year. And I think Skip is, again, pushing the right buttons with him, uh, understanding that he's able to adapt to all these situations. He has pitched as early as the third inning and as late as the eighth inning, even into the ninth one time against the Giants. That's right. In the Giants game, he uh, when some of the other guys that we're about to talk about were down, he pitched the most important innings to force extra innings. But Brazovan, he's been extremely um, impressive to this point in the season. I think he's on the top of this tier. I think that's the highest compliment I can pay him. You don't want to go overboard with it. 
unless he does really maintain this aggressiveness in the zone as the season goes on, uh, then you might reconsider exactly how much trust you could put in Brazovan. It's extremely encouraging for somebody that had visa issues early in the spring. So he missed a chunk of spring training. There was a question as to whether he'd even be physically ready for opening day just because of that um, very frustrating situation trying to get here from the Dominican Republic. Uh, a lot of credit to him. He has, yeah, he is really, you could tell like how much focus he's put into this for somebody that was toiling in the low minors and the independent leagues for so many years. This is his opportunity to establish himself when most guys are already on the decline. I don't know what his stuff looked like five years ago, 10 years ago. Uh, uh, can you imagine if it was somehow even nastier than it is now? Um, but the Marlins are very grateful for uh, Huascar Brazabon. He's number three on my list of Marlins rankings. So I'm going to take a breath. And then on the other side of this, we're going to go to the top two. You know who they are, but do you know what order I have them in? Eli Sussman here on the official show. Stick with me. We covered Brazabon, who's pitched the most innings out of all these guys in the most situations. Andrew Nardi, a, a huge step forward from last year. And some of it just kind of uh, what you would expect from him after a larger sample size because his rookie year was kind of misleading. Stephen Okert, one successful appearance in the book. We look to see exactly how close he could be to his former self after missing the first few weeks with an abductor injury. Then Tanner Scott was number six on my list. Still walking, guys. Very small sample is kind of giving you a taste of everything of the Tanner Scott experience. There's just some inconsistency there. Number seven, I had Matt Barnes, former, um, was he? I think he was an all-star with the Red Sox at one point. To this point, though, unfortunately, the fastball has declined enough that uh, I, I think you worry about him pitching in high leverage situations. But he's perfectly fine as a middle reliever. And then on the bottom of the pole, you have what I call the fresh arm. George Soriano, Devin Smeltzer. There will be other names that cycle in and out of there. Of course, we have not too far from here. We have JT Chagua is lurking. I'm excluding him just because he's still several weeks away from coming back. That'll be fascinating to see this bullpen at full strength if they're able to get all these guys healthy at the same time. So those are the pitchers that we've covered to this point. We get to our top two. The two that have been arguably the top two relievers in all of baseball to this point in the season. They've both been fantastic. My number two is AJ Puck, the Marlins closer. He allowed a home run to Pete Alonso in his debut. And after that, he has locked it in and been immaculate. He's been exactly what the Marlins hoped for when they traded for him. He's been even better than his 2022 self with the Oakland A's. I wrote a big article about his sweeper, about his slider that he modified over the offseason to get much more horizontal break on it, even less drop on it, which causes some really awkward swings and a lot of soft contact. But that Alonzo home run being an exception. In general, he's getting a lot of soft contact. In fact, I think the only hit off of that sweeper to this point in the season was an infield single against A.J. Puck. So you saw the numbers for Puck to this point. They, they're they pretty fantastic. He has he leads the team in, it's not shown here, is he leads the team in saves. He's all but one of their saves at this point in the season. Walk rate is better than league average. Strikeout rate right around league average for him. The fielder independent pinching, um, it shows that because that strikeout rate actually not being quite as good as it was last year, um, it leads you to question exactly how, quote, dominant he's going to be. Um, where the fastball 
is good and the, the sweeper is good, but are either of those true plus pitches right now in order to get more strikeouts, keep more balls out of play with the Marlins team that's at this point in the season, I think you'd have to say that the defense has been better than we feared. It really has. With all these guys playing unfamiliar positions or atypical positions as a whole, um, it hasn't been it hasn't been terrible, but moving forward, I think there is understandable concern about how exactly they're going to prevent runs if this is a, a unit that is allowing so many balls in play. Uh, yeah, to this point, they are allowing more balls in play than I'm comfortable with, and they're getting away with it, but that includes Puck as well, where it's been extremely successful to this point. I just don't know how sustainable it is unless that strikeout rate goes back up and it keeps more balls out of play. He was toying around with some other tertiary pitches in his mix this season and during the offseason. Predominantly, though, it's just fastball sweeper with A.J. Puck. Um, you can check out my article on Fist Stripes for more about the sweeper because he's the only active Marlins pitcher right now who's throwing it. And it's, it's a really good foundation for him. We do see little windows of times where he loses his control, including during that most recent save against the Guardians. He made that one a little bit dicey. I think he had a walk and then he had a hit batter with him that he was able to dance around it just because the next guy tried to lead down a bunt. And so Puck, you give him credit for fielding his position. That is a tiny aspect of relief pitching that matters, is being able to field your position, control the running game. There is an end of the spectrum with some relievers that are so out of their elements when it comes to fielding their position that it really does come back to bite them. They're so they're automatic to steal against because they're slow to the plate. And if they can't handle balls hit to them just because they don't get very many reps in PFPs, like this stuff does add up. And as a group, the Marlins have a pretty athletic group in terms of fielding their position. And so it's good to see Puck is uh, is part of this. But I do have him as my number two uh, just because, uh, yeah, not until we see it, the track record is relatively short at the big league level. Even though he has the look of a menacing closer, he has great extension where his mid-90s fastball plays even higher. He has that release point that it works really well with this sweeper that uh, I think for the foreseeable future, uh, hitters are still going to be behind on that trend and figuring out how to hit it. All that being said, um, I think we're le leaning a little too much into the early success and into the concept of AJ Puck. The concept of AJ Puck, I feel, is a, still a little bit better than the reality of him to this point. I would expect if everything continues going the same, like if he continues to approach things the same way, I would expect a little bit of regression from Puck uh, as the season goes on. And that leaves by process of elimination. My number one Marlins reliever. He's been a big point of um, my, I wouldn't say an obsession, but he. I've been fascinated by Dylan Floro ever since the Marlins acquired him. This is now his third season with the team. And he just threw a hidden no-hitter, a stretch of nine consecutive innings where he allowed zero hits. He is not a likely subject for that because Floro will challenge you. Floro, throughout his entire career, he has been a strike thrower. He prides himself. He succeeds by limiting homers and by limiting walks, by getting just a lot of ground balls. That's a very high floor player, not really seen as a high ceiling player. Yet to this point in the season, 
he is the one guy who has yet to allow a run. He allowed a bloop double to Daniel Vogelbach, and he allowed a line drive single to Jose Ramirez. He was able to get out of the, the ladder situation with a double play. He induced two double plays in his most recent appearance with him. It, he is such a trusty player. We saw last year, really the only time in his Marlins tenure where there was struggles with Dylan Flora was sustained slump is when he was coming back from a rotator cuff issue. He never looked right on that rehab assignment and the Marlins took a while to like for him to be himself again. Like for whatever reason, his fastball did not totally come back and everything fell apart outside of that for a good chunk of the middle of the 2022 season. There was a turning point. I remember I think in late June of that year where he was fully healthy again. And since that period, Dylan Floro is simply an elite reliever. He has been an elite reliever for that period of time. I talked about the the staff, this bullpen, and their low strikeout rate. And Floro improbably has the highest strikeout rate of this entire group. It's over 30%. And he gets by, not with overpowering stuff, but with just impeccable commands, especially of that sinker. The at this point in his career, you know, he's not throwing exceptionally hard. He's one of the softer throwers in this entire bullpen, but he gets in good counts because that great late break that he gets on his sinker. And then everything he does off of that He's one of the few relievers who has a true four pitch mix that in, in addition to the sinker, he's got the four seamer, the slider and the changeup. And he's able to throw all those pitches to both lefties and righties. So he has an unpredictable element to him that is kind of rare for a reliever. That's important for a starter. But Floro is, yeah, in many ways, like a starter being cast creatively as a reliever. And he has been for a while. He's pitching as well as ever at this point in his career. So even though he's not closing games for the Marlins, I think Dylan Floro is the best option that they have. He has that really substantial track record at this point. Finally, he's going to reach free agency after this upcoming season. I think he's going to get paid well because he's got an ERA of like two seven since coming over to the Marlins. When when he's been healthy, um, he's been even better than that would suggest. The ground ball rate is great. The home run prevention is pretty sustainable to me as long as he's still getting that late movement on his sinker. He's so difficult to square up. I don't think he has been barreled at any point so far this season. And to me, that is kind of simply put the most important part of being a reliever is containing those extra base hits by avoiding barrels. Ideally, you want to be missing bats and Floro is never going to miss bats, but he also gets himself into these great counts. He gets a surprising amount of strikeouts looking just because of his able to paint the corners on both sides, his willingness to challenge, especially lefties on that inside corner and have that sinker run back and just catch the corner just in time. He has a lot of ways to get you out, even though it's not, it doesn't fit, you know, the profile that you think of a shutdown reliever. And to be clear, uh, I wouldn't say that he is necessarily a, an all-star caliber reliever. I don't think you, I don't know if you dream about him being your number one guy with this Marlins bullpen as a whole. I do think that they're missing that really um, relief ace. I think ideally you'd want somebody better at the top of this hierarchy than Dylan Floro. As much as I do appreciate what he does, and I, I hope you could see that come through in the way I describe him, 
it, it's not it's not perfect. It's not perfect. The the very best bullpens in baseball have somebody that's a little bit more dominant than Dylan Floro is. And this group as a whole, I don't think they're going to continue to be the number one, whether it's in win probability added or just the group that continues to win every single one run game. This group isn't quite on that same level. Ultimately, getting strikeouts is a very important part of this puzzle. And the Marlins bullpen are right near the bottom of the majors in terms of getting those strikeouts. So it puts a lot of pressure on this defense to this point has held up to this point has exceeded my expectations. That being said, you know, you just look at the actual skill set and the experience levels of these infielders, especially and including even jazz and center field where there's been a lot of good recently, but there's, you know, there's still some moments where his inexperience shows up as well. And I don't think it's a great match to have a very contact driven relief core with this Marlins defense. So as this moves forward, I talked, I gave those stats at uh, the, the top of the pot. Let me see if I can find them again, where the Marlins were number one in the majors and win probability added. As I said, they have been perfect in one run games, largely because of this bullpen. Uh, several of these guys have been lights out inheriting runners from their starters. That's been huge, but the fielder independent numbers are poor. They're just straight up poor relative to the rest of the league because the lack of strikeouts, the occasional home runs, and um, there are a couple suspects that we already covered there that have some control issues and add extra walks and hit by pitches on there. As a group, I, I still think that if this Marlins team is in it as the season goes on, deep into the season, after the All-Star break, as the trade deadline is approaching, um, this is a team that could really benefit from having yet another outside relief acquisition. Um, so maybe that's, they get a lot of help from Chagua getting healthy, and Chagua was pretty much perfect until he got hurt in the first place. So that'll be a fascinating piece of the puzzle to see Chagua come back probably in the second half of May and what he looks like. Um, so that will certainly elevate this team as well, uh, assuming the other guys stay healthy. Uh, but you can't really assume other guys staying healthy, and that's why I chose this particular moment with the exact group they have right now to go through this rankings. Maybe I'll do a re-ranking once I get Chagwal back and once we get a, a larger sample of all these relievers and how they're pitching before. Uh, you, but you do have to give credit at the end to the front office and to Kim Ang for making these acquisitions. I really liked Puck when they got him and Chagwal. Who else is new? And Matt Barnes, as I covered here. Just as important has been those other incumbent pitchers pitching as well or better than they did this past year. With Floro getting even better and preparing that for this year in a way where he was fully healthy coming into the year, which a total difference from last season. To have Nardi take his step forward and pitching kind of to the level that he's capable of pitching if you're not doing so last year. Whether it's the continuity of having Mel Stoddermile Jr. back as the pitching coach that has helped these guys in some way, I don't know. For whatever reason, you know, they're all off to this really good start. The Marlins have banked wins that count just as much as any other wins. Even if this, to me, doesn't look like a 12 and 10 team moving forward, it doesn't look like a team that, let me calculate that win percentage real quick. To this point, they have a, a 545 winning percentage that would kind of flirt with them in wildcard contention. Uh, I don't think they're quite that good as currently comprised, but those wins count just the same. 
for them to get it to this point, mainly because the bullpen has been a, a lot of fun. You know, it's good to win games. I think it's especially thrilling when they're all these close games that they're doing it. So a lot of credit to go around with this. I just hope that they're not complacent as the season goes on because they could use uh, another reliever or two that misses bats consistently against both lefties and righties. They could they'll have some internal reinforcements coming back from injury. Maybe one of these young pitchers will really pop in a relief role, one of their current pitching prospects, such as a Jake Eater or maybe even a, a Yuri Perez as the season goes on to be used in those particular roles. It'll be fascinating in every element of this team needs to be scrutinized closely because they need a lot to go right if they are going to be a playoff contender in uh, 2023. But the path is there, and they are off to an encouraging start through the first, what is it, three and a half weeks of the season. Be sure to subscribe to Fish On First wherever you get your podcast. That is our Fish Stripes pod channel, Fish On First. It's part of the Fans First Sports Network. What, what, regardless of whether you get your pods, you'll find it there. You can get even more updates on our special pod Twitter account, Fish On First on Twitter. You can follow over there for additional updates. So usually I'll be dropping the official show on Mondays and Thursdays throughout the rest of this Marlins season. Hope you enjoy. Appreciate your feedback. And uh, be on the lookout for a bunch of special guest appearances. Usually the solo pod for me will be once a week, but the other pod typically will have a guest either from my staff or elsewhere in the baseball universe that I hope you enjoy their perspective as well. I've been Eli Sussman. Go Fish. <laughs>